0: I'll invite you to go ahead and uh, pull out your Bibles. We'll open up to Philippians chapter 2 this morning, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. Uh, It'll be one of two scripture readings. Uh, We'll have a few others that we'll we'll, uh, be looking at. But uh, this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series to the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And this morning, we're talking about Jesus uh, and why Jesus is important, which Maybe that goes without saying uh, in a church. I mean, when we think about what we're going to talk about this week, we always, at some point, we talk about Jesus. But this week in particular, we're, we're looking at the significance within his life. Uh, why the creed goes to such great extent to spell out the different points of his life. right? As if we remember in the Apostles' Creed, it, it tells us that uh, Jesus was... Um, Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, if, if we're looking at the creed as a whole, as we've been doing over the past several weeks, we see that the creed has more things about Jesus. It says more about Jesus than about anything else. That Jesus is the central figure, the, the, the central actor, the central part of the creed. Uh, and, and rightly so, because Jesus is the central figure within Scripture. He is the central figure within our faith. But why do we need so many details, right? Like, why does it need to spell out each and every part of his life? And aside from this, these just being things that we read as we uh, go through the Gospels, as we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the books of the Bible that tell us about Jesus, uh, why are these things that we need to believe in? Why are these events and statements on his life important? And what do they mean for us? And so last week, we talked about... Uh, there being kind of different kinds of reasons. There's theological reasons for things, and there's practical reasons for things. Uh, last week we talked about what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. That there's theological uh, understandings behind Jesus as Lord, and there's there's practical reasons why we confess Jesus as Lord. And, and we're going to approach this the same way this morning. Uh, and our, our first reading will help us to think about Jesus theologically. This passage here in Philippians chapter two uh, is known as a Christ hymn. It was one of the the first things. That was sung within the churches. It was a a well-known confession of faith as communities of followers of Jesus gathered together. Uh, This would be a hymn that they would sing, and so Paul, who writes this letter to the Philippians, uh, uses this familiar hymn to help encourage the people there to help them understand who Jesus is, uh, as as a way of helping them understand how they might live in this world. And so we're going to read here Philippians chapter two, uh, beginning in verse five. God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So this Christ hymn uh, presents to us a key theological belief within the Christian faith. Uh, This is kind of our our seminary moment. I'll I'll take you back to to school with me for a second. It's what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union, right? Not a term that we use a whole lot in our everyday speech or everyday language. uh, Not something that you kind of are going to throw around in your conversations. But essentially what hypostatic union means is that Jesus was fully God and fully human. That he had these two natures, the the fullness of divinity, the fullness of humanity and One hypostasis in one individual person. As the Christ says, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Right? He was in the form of God. He had the fullness of God's power. He was fully God, walking and living on the earth. But he didn't exploit that power. He didn't use that power for his own uh, riches to gain wealth, uh, to lord it over people. But instead, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he took on human form, uh, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Uh, Jesus, if you, if you remember, even told his disciples when they were in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, he was being arrested. And his disciples start pulling out their swords, and they're ready to fight to prevent this from happening. And Jesus says, hold on, wait, wait, put away your swords. He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen this way? Jesus humbled himself. He, even though he had the fullness of the power of God at work within him and at his ability to use, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for our sake. Jesus is saying, I have divine power. I have divine authority. I can prevent this from happening. I could really take over everything. But I'm becoming obedient to the point of death for your sake and the sake of the world. And so theologically, uh, practically speaking, uh, this dual nature of Christ is what enables our salvation. This dual nature of Christ is what enables us to have the forgiveness of our sins. One of the great leaders of the early Christian church, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, in arguing about this dual nature of Jesus, he said, For that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. What he's saying is that what actually brings salvation to us, what actually enables us as humans to be redeemed by God, is that God and Jesus took on every part of our human nature. And because God united himself with humanity in Jesus... If we unite ourselves with Jesus in his death through baptism, then we will be united with him in his resurrection and everlasting life. I'll say that again. Uh, because God united himself with humanity in Jesus. If we unite with Jesus in his death through baptism, then we will be united with him in his resurrection and in his everlasting life. And now if it was only for our salvation... If it was only for our being made whole in resurrection that God took on human flesh in Jesus, that would be enough. Right? That would be enough that we might have hope. That might be enough that we would have joy. That might be enough that we could have peace. It, it, that would be enough for our understanding of Christ's humanity to deserve this much attention, to be worthy of creating this much joy within us. But the humanity of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, are are more than just for us to have hope of eternal life, of a life that is to come. Uh, The humanity of Jesus offers us hope uh, in this world, in in this life, in the present, in the here and now. And so we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. You can turn with me there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help In our time of need. During the the Super Bowl this past year, there were a couple of ads that that ran that were a little bit different than others. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not. Uh, These ads, they didn't feature any celebrities, Uh, they weren't attached to any popular brands. Uh, Rather than advertising cars or snacks or drinks, uh, these ads had a different message. He gets us, uh, they were called. Uh, he gets us was this this ad this branding message that was to point people to the person of jesus this great high priest who's been tempted in every way who was human just as we are but lived perfectly I'll, i'll show you one of them now just so you can see what i'm talking about Simple, effective. he gets us, right, all, all of us, regardless of our background, where we're from, what's going on, Jesus gets us. And these commercials, they cause a little bit of controversy. If you visit their web page, you may or may not agree with everything they say, but the central message he gets us uh, is pretty much what the author of Hebrews is, is trying to tell us. In his birth, in his life, in his suffering and in his death, Jesus gets us. He's walked in our shoes. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up and have to do chores, right? Jesus knows what it's like to be forced to eat his veggies. Uh, he knows what it's like to make friends and to lose friends. Jesus knows what it's like to be picked on, what it's like to be disbelieved, what it's like to be made fun of. Jesus knows what it's like to face temptation. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to see loved ones struggle that's what it's like to see loved ones give up on you. He knows the pain of seeing loved ones die. Jesus knows what it's like to shed tears. He knows what it's like to live in a world that's filled with anxiety, with stress, with frustration. He knows what it's like to live in this world that's not the way that He would have it, and it's not the way that any of us would have it. And Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, to have His body beat down and beat upon. And what Hebrews reminds us of is that when we think that no one gets us, we think that no one understands what's going on within our lives. Jesus does because he's walked in our shoes. He's been in our positions and perhaps he hasn't made the same mistakes that we've made, but he's faced the same situations that we've had to face. The author of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who's been tested in every way, right he gets us, Jesus gets us, and i 'm not sure if you remember the 2020 Olympics or not. Uh, it seems so long ago, like i don 't know feels like it was twenty years ago, uh, but one of the big stories in the 2020 Olympics was this gymnast uh, who was favored to win everything, Simone Biles, uh, and she withdrew from all of her events because she got what they called the Twisties. I had never heard of the twisties before. I'm not sure if some other people had or not. Uh, And so the initial response that most people had was, hey, you're a big-time athlete. You're just going to have to suck it up and go out there and perform. I mean, that was my response, right? I mean, it's like you're on the biggest stage of your career. You're favored to win it all. You just got to go out and make it happen. Uh, And there were some people who were probably even worse in their comments than what I was. Uh, None of us couch potato gymnasts uh, had heard of the twisties before. And so what twisties are is this mental block that causes gymnasts to lose control of their body while in midair. Which, when you think about it, that sounds pretty dangerous. If you're trying to do some sort of flip or twist, and all of a sudden your mind's like, nope, not going to happen, I mean, that might not end up well. And once that mental block is there, it can be hard, nearly impossible to push past, and it's dangerous to try to. And so while this initial commentary around Simone Biles was pretty spiteful, as time wore on, there were several gymnasts uh, who began to speak up and offer sympathy. Uh, There was a former teammate, uh, Aliyah Finnegan, who said, you know, she had had the twisties since she was 11. I cannot imagine the fear of having it happen to you during competition, she said. You have absolutely no control of your body and what it does. And the more that you try to psych yourself out about it, the worse it becomes. Uh, one of Simone Biles' teammates from the 2016 Olympics chimed in. Uh, Laurie Hernandez said, I've had the twisties before, hated it so much, it's painful. It actively makes you feel like you're not the caliber of athlete that you are. And, and so none of us, uh, couch potato gymnasts, uh, might understand what Simone, what Simone Biles was going through. But these other gymnasts had walked in her shoes. They had been there before. They knew what it was like to experience what she was experiencing. And because because they knew that, because they had been there, because they had walked in her shoes, they could sympathize with her in a way that others were not able to. They could comfort her. They could help her in a way that perhaps the rest of the public could not. I think in part that's what it means that Jesus gets us, That that God gets us. That it's not some abstract God looking down from heaven uh, kind of gets us. But there's this Jesus walking the earth. That he's been through the dirt, through the muck, and through the mire. That he's suffered emotional toil and brutal pain. That he gets us. And, and because he gets us, because he's walked in our shoes, it means that he really truly does know just what we need. Because he's been there, because he gets us, it means that he can truly comfort us in our weakness and our despair and our sorrows. Because he gets us, it means that he's the one that can really help us to endure all things. Whatever might come our way, he can give us the strength to endure because he's been there before. It means the promise that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, that he's with us, that he comforts us, that it's, it's not just words that we might recite because Jesus has been there. He he knows that road that leads through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows which way it curves and where the bumps are. And he can help us navigate it. He can be our strength. It means this promise that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us is true. Because when he had the opportunity to get up and walk out, Jesus endured the cross. He disregarded its shame. He took on the pain and the loss on our behalf. Because Jesus gets us, because he's been there, it means that we can have hope no matter what situation we might encounter. Because Jesus tells us in John 16, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Jesus knows that we're going to have trouble. If he had trouble, if he had difficulties, if he had challenges, then we're going to have them too. But we can take heart because he overcame the world. Because his death was swallowed up in victory, with, with resurrection. I mean, this is uh, the even better news that is before us in Jesus. The better news that the creed reminds us of is that not only did Jesus experience what we experienced, not only can he relate to our suffering and our weaknesses, not only was he tested and tempted, but Jesus overcame all things. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Jesus wasn't just merely tempted. He overcame. He didn't just suffer. He overcame. He wasn't just crucified. He was resurrected. He doesn't just live in heaven. He reigns over all of creation. So the author of Hebrews writes as though Jesus is saying himself, inviting us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right, Because Jesus gets us, he invites us to approach him, uh, to receive the mercy and the grace that we need in each and every moment. Now when you're struggling and life is hard, To turn to him and find the grace that you need. When you feel tempted in any way. When the sins that you can't quite give up try to haggle you and bring you down. To turn to him and find the strength that you need. When the future is uncertain. When health challenges arise. To turn to Jesus to find peace. When you're grieving. When you're lonely. When you're not quite sure how you're going to make it through. To turn to him to find your comfort and peace. Because he gets us. Uh, When your children have you worried, and you can't figure out what they're doing or how they're ever going to make it, you can take them to the throne room of grace. You can place them in Jesus' hands. You can find mercy and grace for yourself, and you can plead it over them as well. When you reach that point, when your last days are drawing near, you can remember that Jesus has walked this road too. And you can find hope and you can find peace, trusting in his resurrection power. Whatever your need might be, Jesus is there to help you. He's there to guide you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to give you the wisdom that you need each and every day. He is with you and he is for you. He gets us and he invites us to, to get him. Uh, To know him, to truly know him, uh, to truly turn ourselves over to him, to cast all of our cares before him, knowing that he cares for us, to draw near and experience his mercy and his grace. And so this morning, I'm going to give us that opportunity to do that. I don't, I don't know what you've got going on in your lives, what the difficulties or challenges that you might have, uh, what they might be, whether it's something that's short-term and immediate right now in the present or whether there's something that's been going on and dragging on and it's just been eating away, gnawing away at you for a long time. To come and to place it in Jesus' hands, so approach the throne room of grace because there's this great high priest who has gone through it for you. And he will meet you in the midst of your need. He will offer you the grace and the mercy that you need. And so as we uh, prepare to sing, I'm going to say a prayer. And then I'm going to open up our prayer rail. I'm going to invite you to come and spend some time uh, approaching that throne room of grace. Let us pray together. Uh, Gracious and almighty God, we give you thanks that you loved us enough that you took on human flesh uh, in the person of Jesus. That Jesus... uh, lived this life, lived in this world, experienced the difficulties and the challenges and the hardships for our sake, for our benefit, that he endured the cross uh, for us, that he gave himself so that we might have life. We thank you that in his resurrection power, he has overcome the grave and that he empowers and enables us to overcome all things as well. Lord, we lean into that resurrection power today. We approach your throne room of grace, looking for your mercy looking for your grace, searching for your peace and for your joy, praying that that we might meet and encounter and know you here today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.